Welcome to the Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man podcast, dedicated to all the men who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages, with host Arturo Henriquez and sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Before we get started, please, please, if you like this podcast, if you like these episodes, please leave your rating, please leave a comment. It helps with the algorithm which allows us to reach more men who are going through marital problems like yourselves. And also, if you want a private complimentary call with myself, go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L, and we will talk about your particular situation. Again, it's complimentary and it's in private. Let's talk today about some mistakes, mistakes that people make in the process of trying to save their marriage. And I want to talk about it by telling you about something that happened when I was in high school. I was at a boarding school, um, and it was a small town, uh, and around it, it was a very rural kind of area. Um, And I knew a person who had a little bit of a fire at their place in their farm. Their field was on fire, and I remember, uh, because we also saw it in the news, right, and you could see smoke from miles away. The smoke covered the road, um, and actually, it actually went to the other side of the road, and it spread wildly. And the fire department was, was there trying to put it out. What was interesting to me was that the firefighters were on each side, um, and that kind of stands out because it was a big fire. Uh, and I remember the story because I knew the person that this happened to. What had happened was in many rural areas, particularly um, in the dry season, this person was burning the waste from their yard. Uh, They had clippings and such, and it was kind of in the fall of the year, late summer, early fall. So they were burning leaves, and they were burning twigs, and they were burning off all of the old stuff, the last clippings of the yard, and all that good stuff. And what had happened was it had gotten away from the pal that he had set up. Now, there wasn't quite enough clearance around the pile to keep it safe. And so it was burning and he was tending to it and raking it up and trying to make sure that it was safe. A little bit of an ember got away from him and that ember got onto some other dry areas and those began to burn. And there he was trying to rake it up and there was a little burning spot going on that he didn't really pay attention to, but it began to grow. And so he tried to rake it into the area where the other debris is but it began to grow further. And so as it began to grow, he worked to keep trying to do the same thing. He was just kind of raking and trying to keep it all together, but it was getting, you know, it was gaining in strength and heat. And he was still raking away, trying to keep it from getting away from him. But it was getting away from him before he was able to do anything about it. So the first thing he did is he grabbed the shovel and he started digging some dirt and throwing some dirt on the growing area of the fire. And he began to dig some, and then he would rake some, and then he would dig some more, then he would rake some, and it began to grow and grow, getting more and more out of hand. So then at that point, he began to do everything he knew to do. He was throwing water on it. He was digging dirt up and throwing the dirt on it. He was raking leaves on top of it, doing everything he could in the middle of the field, away from a lot of resources, trying to get it back under control. Well, as you can imagine, a couple of things he was doing were helping. The water was very useful in putting out the fire, and the dirt was very useful in smothering some of the flames. 
But the leaves he was throwing on top that he was hoping would smother it just added fuel to it. And the debris he was throwing on top that he was hoping would smother it just added fuel to it. And pretty soon it was growing out of control. So then finally, as everything was beginning to spread and it was beginning to grow exponentially around him, decided it was time to call in some help. So his neighbors came over and they tried to do the same kind of thing. They were throwing dirt on it. They were throwing water on it, raking it wherever they could. And it was just growing. And soon somebody said, it's time to call the fire department. So out comes the fire department. All the volunteers were there. All the trucks were there. And they were working the best they could to control the flame. By the time they were there, it had already engulfed a lot of the field and was threatening his house and was beginning to threaten the other properties. At this point, he knew he had made a mistake. And so you would think that he would be willing to admit to it. So I remember talking to him when he was back in school and his first response was, it's not my fault. It wasn't my fault that it, it was so dry out there. It's not my fault that Amber got in the air. It's not my fault that it was a windy day. And I remember being astounded by that, kind of speechless about it because it was absolutely his fault. It wasn't intentional, but it was his fault. Now, the reason I was talking with him is because, you know, we were sitting at the cafeteria and he came into the cafeteria and he was still trying to explain to everybody around why this wasn't his fault. And he was quick to proclaim that. Now, one thing that I did know was that he was constantly saying that the family business, which he worked for, was in trouble. He would say that it wasn't his fault that the business was in trouble, just that the town was poor now. And he told me over and over and over again about how many things were not his fault. I remember when his girlfriend broke up with him, it wasn't his fault that she didn't feel cared for and that she had broken up. So there were lots of instances where I realized that this was a pattern in his life. So just for a moment, I want us to kind of notice the patterns that were going on there because I think they outline four mistakes that we often see when people are working to save their relationship. I've seen this consistently over and over and over. So let me tell you what those four mistakes are. The first one is they wait too long to act. They might have noticed some things were not quite right. They might have noticed that things weren't quite feeling right, but they weren't willing to address it. And so they waited too long to act. Now, here's the problem with that. A marriage or any relationship has a certain lifespan to it. You either are working to keep it going or it's beginning to spin out of control. And so when you wait, what you're doing is putting yourself in a pause place. You're hoping that things are going to get better. So you're keeping doing what you're doing. You keep on acting as if everything is okay, when in actuality, the underpinnings of it are already in trouble and on fire. The fire has already leapt out of the ring. The fire has already spread, but there was no action. He kept raking and trying to do the same things to keep the fire in the same spot it was supposed to be, but it already leapt out. Many times in relationships, people wait too long to act. They're afraid to act. They're afraid to rock the boat, afraid to say, I think the relationship is off, or afraid to say, I'm not feeling connected here, or to say, it doesn't feel like you have the same connection. And because of that, instead of dealing with a minor incident in the relationship, 
it becomes a major incident. It's grown out of control. And the problem is then at that point, it has its own fuel source. It's gained its own energy. It's no longer in the ring of the relationship. It's broken out. Which brings us to the second mistake that people make, and that is that they take no consistent action. They waited too long to act. Now it's out, and now they're not doing anything consistently. Sometimes it's because they don't know what to do. In this case of my friend who was finding his own fire, he was out away from the house, away from a water source, and what he had at his disposal was a shovel, so he did the best he could with that. But it wasn't consistent. He would dig a little bit, throw some dirt on it, then go back to raking, and then dig a little bit, throw some dirt on it, and then go back to raking. And the same thing seems to happen in relationships. That instead of being consistent about the approach somebody takes to save a relationship, they do a little bit and then they back off. They do a little bit and then they back off. And sometimes that pattern is this. They realize that something needs to change in the relationship. And so they step it up, they work at it, and when they get a little traction, they back off. What that usually means is that no real change has taken place. Maybe your spouse has said, you know what, I don't like it when you talk to me this way. Or maybe I don't like it when you act that way. And so the person makes some initial changes, stops treating the other person that way, acting that way. But they don't really change what's underneath that behavior. They just are acting as if they have changed it. And so for a while, it gets them a little bit of a cushion. The relationship gets back on track a little bit because the spouse goes, wow, I can see you putting in some effort there. And so the spouse moves back towards them. The problem is that the underlining dynamics haven't really changed in the relationship or the individual. And because of that, it's only a matter of time before the fire begins to spread again, before the crisis begins to creep in again. So now what you realize is that the other person becomes very resistant to the efforts because they've been burned now when there wasn't real change, real attention given. Now they feel a little bit burned and now they're even more resistant and more angry and more upset. And the crisis has gained a lot of power. The leaves now, all the twigs and everything, all the fuel around it suddenly is engulfed. It's not just about the crisis that was there. It spreads to other places. It's found the other sources to fuel that fire. And the other sources may be the other people. It may be other conflicts that have been in the relationship. It may be other dynamics that have been there as well. They just haven't been on fire yet. Now they're engulfed in fire. So what happens? Well, then too much action in too many ways begins to happen. So in the fire, he began to throw some water on. He began to throw some dirt on it. He began to throw some debris on it. He began to throw leaves on it, all hoping that that would help. It was basically not aimed. It was whatever you can grab and whatever you can throw on it. And the same thing happens when he called his neighbors. The neighbors came over and they did the same thing. Everybody was in frantic action without any direction or focus. And that's what I see happening many times in the middle of a marriage crisis. And that leads to the third mistake of taking too much action. The problem is not that the action may be wrong, but there's so much of it 
So suddenly you're trying to win over the other person and you're reading on the internet and you're learning about all these different approaches and you're throwing everything you've got at them. You're reading books and watching videos and going after it in every way possible. The problem is it's so much of, of a change and usually so many things changing that it looks, one, suspicious, two, disingenuous, and three, it's very, very ineffective because you're trying to hit everything. So instead of saying, what is it that's going to take care of this crisis, you're throwing everything at it. So back to the fire analogy, different fires need different things put on them. If you're in the kitchen cooking and the oil catches on fire, the last thing you need to do is throw water on it. All that will do is cause the fire to spread. You need to smother it. If you're outside and the leaves are burning, the first thing you want to do is throw water on it. If some wood has caught fire, the first thing you want to do is throw water on it. There are different ways you need to approach different crises. It could look like the same thing. A marriage crisis here, a mar- you know, marriage crisis there is not the same crisis. There are root causes that need to be addressed, and there are stages in the disconnection that need to be addressed. Different stages of crisis that need different things. A little fire in the yard could have been dealt with just a couple of shovels full of dirt that would have taken care of it, or maybe just a couple of buckets of water. But once it's gone into the next level, it takes something much bigger than that. Just a spoonful or a shovelful or even several shovelfuls of dirt does nothing. Just a little bit of water, buckets of water does nothing because it's at a different stage that needs a lot more attention, a lot more focus. So when somebody decides to take all that action, usually they're missing what really needs to happen. They're also doing so many things because they don't know what to do. It's desperation. It seems so abrupt that the other person doesn't know what to do with it. And it feels overwhelmed and disingenuous and even manipulative. They're trying so hard to gain connection with the other person who is disconnected that it blows everything out of proportion. So then suddenly it's too much action and the wrong action. Instead of saying, how do I focus my action? How do I make, how do I move in a direct way that's going to address the underlying issues that are there? Which leads us to mistake number four. It's not my fault. This is not my responsibility. Now, in our culture, we have a problem of recognizing the difference between responsibility and blame. Whenever I'm talking with people who are involved in a marriage crisis, I do recognize that there are two people who are part of the crisis and there's no reason to really be looking for who's to blame. But it is important for somebody to say, I'll be responsible. I'll be the one to step up and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to fix this part. Now back to the fire. This person did some things that needed to be changed, right? He did some things that caused the fire to get out of control. And for him to say, you know what, that was not my fault. These pieces were my fault. I picked the wrong day to burn. I picked the wrong place to do the burn. And I didn't have the tools necessary to do it. That's on me. That's my bad. That's my fault. He could have said, I just didn't know better. And that would have been understandable. But to be able to say it's not my fault that that got out of control changes the whole thing. 
So that's the same in a marriage crisis. To be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for this and I'm going to clean up what is my fault. I'm going to look at the things where I have fallen short. I'm going to make those changes. I'm not going to wait for my spouse to say, oh, wait, you know what? We've got a role to play in this as well. I'm going to get busy. The fact is that when there is a crisis, somebody has to step up. Not to wait for somebody else to do it, but to step up and say, I will take responsibility for this. So back to the fire analogy, because I love the analogy of a house on fire as how we think about responsibility. If you're in a house and the house is burning, the last thing you need to ask is, how did this house get on fire? Whose fault is it that this house is on fire? You can always look at that later on if necessary, but right then the question is, how do I get myself and us safely out of this? How can I take care of the situation? So we get safely out with minimal damage possible. That's about taking responsibility. I often see far too often couples telling me it's not my fault. Why should I have to do this? And the fact is that fault and doing are two very separate things. Whether it's your fault or not, you can decide to be responsible to do something in a different way. So let's talk some about what you do from here. First, waiting too long is either passed by, right? It's already happened. You want to decide you're going to intervene. Now, sometimes people find my information early on in a crisis, whether it's the podcast, the program, or my other information. Sometimes it's even before a crisis has started. I have a lot of people who say, you know what? Your information is so good on how to avoid problems in a relationship that I've been listening to it before we had any problems to avoid any problems down the road. Great place to not wait too long to act. But let's say it's already happened. Let's say the crisis is already there. Well, there's a proverb about the best time to plant the tree, and that is years ago before you need it. The second best time is now. It's now. So wherever you are, now is the time to begin to take action, to make sure your relationship is the best. It could be that you're stepping into the relationship as best you can. So number one, wherever you are, it's time to act. Number two, take consistent action is crucial. Now, consistent action is usually based on the fact that you have chosen to make a change, not just a how things look, but how things really are to address the underlying issues. So you want to find an approach that gets you to be working on yourself, not just trying to fake out your wife. You're going to read lots of things on the internet about using reverse psychology and manipulation as a way of getting your spouse to do what you want. That's not about saving a marriage. That may be about stopping a divorce. It may be about kind of catching the attention of your wife, but it will not last because there's no true in that. It's just a trick. When you really decide that you're going to, you know, really bear down and really lean into your relationship and lean into saving your relationship, you need to be willing to say, I've got to change myself. I've got to take consistent action in myself and grow and consistent action in the relationship to make a difference, which leads us to the next piece. It's very easy in our culture 
to have information around us. We're surrounded by information, and all of that information gets us to want to do everything possible instead of what needs to be done. So we throw in this, and we throw in that, and we do this, and we do that. So you might start with my ideas and decide you're going to connect with your spouse. And then you read about this reverse psychology thing, and you say, I'm going to do that and see if I can turn my spouse around. And then you read about the no contact rule, which I've critiqued before, and you decide to do that. And then maybe you come back to the connection thing. And what you're basically doing is throwing everything at the crisis rather than figuring out what really needs to happen in the crisis. Don't make those mistakes, guys. Plot your course, have a plan, and stay on course. And build your plan. Stick with your plan. Whenever we find ourselves without a plan, we know that we're going to wander around because we're going to start throwing everything that sounds good at the moment towards it. And why does something sound good? Because of our emotional state. Not our plan, but our emotional state. Which leads us to number four. Decide now that you're going to take responsibility to change what you can change to change yourself and to change how you relate. What's amazing is when you step up and you say, I'm going to change how I relate to my wife. I'm going to change myself. Magical things happen, not just in the relationship, but in your life. Because you're changing who you are and you're changing how you relate for the better. You're becoming a better version of yourself in those aspects. That brings everything new into your relationship. Break the first rule. Break that place where you may have waited too long because now is the time to take action. Now is the time maybe you should have. And you can look back and say, wow, I should have addressed this five, ten years ago. I should have addressed this three, four months ago. I hear that consistently of people saying, I wish I had used your information earlier. Now is the time, though not in the future, but now. The past would be best, but now is the better time than any other time. So I, you know, I invite you into the Fortified Spouse Program. It's a great starting point. So you understand where you're headed, you understand where you've been, and you understand how you need to change that. That will begin to create an understanding for you of how to take consistent action. And then you want to stick with your plan. Now, if you choose another approach, that's fine. Just make sure you stick with that approach. Make sure that you follow through on whatever approach you choose. Just make sure that the approach always feels like it's above board, like it's honest and direct, and like there's real change involved for you and the relationship. And that's where you go when you take responsibility. And that is how you save a marriage. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the podcast, Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man. For further information, visit the Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.